We're going to take a, a few weeks and we're going to uh, do Christ, community, and cause. And I'm looking forward to this and just kind of as a uh, in-between, we're going to start Matthew in a few weeks. And uh, so we're going to do Christmas in late spring. Does that make sense? And we're, I'm going to take uh, time to walk through every name in that genealogy in Matthew. I want to tell you something. It's amazing. You think I'm... You're not sure whether I'm serious or not, are you? <laughs> I had to say it. It was too good, you know, because you, you didn't know whether I was going to really take every name. We'll look at the genealogy. We won't take every name. But there are some fascinating things in there, and uh, it's going to be a fun time. Matthew is such an amazing uh, gospel, and about our king is really the theme of it. And so it's going to be a, a neat time to walk through. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because there's so many times that we look at some of the things that are said in Matthew, and the question is, who is Jesus referring to? Is he talking to disciples? Is he talking to believers? Is he talking to unbelievers? Is he talking to the Jewish people? How does this relate to the Christian church? How do we take it and learn from it and grow in it? What are the principles in it? How do these parables apply to us? And there's so many different things in this. Uh, it's going to be a great journey, and I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, Christ community cause. And I, I did this a little bit, and I've done this before, but I think this is so essential for a body of believers uh, because so often what happens is, is we say that we're emphasizing Christ and we jump right over community in order to get to the cause, and the cause usually is whatever we think it is. It's our cause that we're doing for God. Instead of a correct emphasis on Christ, a change from the inside out to where community then begins to be a focal point in a right way, and our love for one another begins to be a witness into the world, and the cause is to make disciples, not only in the sense of bringing them to Christ, but also equipping them in what God has taught. And so when we walk through all this, I, I think it's fascinating because so often what happens is we get our eyes off the Lord and we put our eyes on the work, and the work becomes the focus. And folks, there ought to be work, right? There ought to be work. We ought to be sharing Christ with other people. We ought to be evangelizing. There's no question about that. Our lives should be a testimony. We're going to look at it a little bit this morning. Paul's life was a testimony. There's no question about that. But if we're not doing that, we don't just create another program in order to figure out how to get back there. We got to go back to the roots. We got to go back to the nourishment. We go back to our head, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we make sure that we're focused on the Lord. We make sure that Christ really is the center of all that we are in order that he is our life so that through us, he begins to be revealed in the midst of our lives, no matter what it may be, whether it's in the body of Christ or outside into the arena of unbelievers and the lost. When I talk about community, I'm talking about the body of Christ. There's a community outside the body of Christ, obviously, but I'm talking about the church and how do we relate to one another. And so often we say that we're emphasizing Christ, but we jump right over the fellowship and the communion that we have together and the walk that we've been called into together in order to get to a cause. And when our expectations aren't met, what happens is if we turn on one another and we begin to shoot at one another. And as a result, as a result, we lose our testimony into the world. So this morning, I want to take some time and look at Christ. And we're just going to look at several different aspects of this. 
Obviously, the Lord Jesus Christ is our leader. It goes without say. But unfortunately, what I fear is that so many times we have lost the idea that the Lord is the shepherd, that he's the one that leads us and guides us. And it's not just that he gives us a task and then folds his arms, steps back and says, okay, let's see how well you do with this. The idea that he indwells us in order to empower us to do the very things that he has commanded us to do, that he's leading us within. It's without say that the Lord is the head. In our day and age, what I'm seeing over and over again and what I wrestle with, obviously, in in my own flesh is divorcing Christ from his characteristics. And we say, well, I've, I've got to have more joy and I've got to be more loving and I've got to share more and I've got to go work more and I've got to serve more. And you can fill in the blanks in terms of all the mores that we're supposed to do. And somehow we've separated the Lord Jesus Christ from that as if somehow we could do it on our own. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love and all the different characteristics of love. When we think about who we are as a people and we think about who we are as believers individually and corporately, we are indwelt by the Lord Jesus Christ who empowers us. He is our joy. He is the one who is loving. He is the one that is kind. He is the one that is patient. All the characteristics that we seek to have are in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so often, even in our prayers, what we end up doing is separating the person of Christ from the very characteristics that we say that we want to see take place in a fuller way in and through our lives. When we need more patience, what we need to begin to walk in is the fact that Christ is the all-patient one and he lives in me in order to be patient through me. When we talk about loving one another, what we need to begin to pray is, Lord, you are love. And so, Lord, I want to walk with you today and I want to experience your love not only in my life but also through my life. Let's not separate Christ from the characteristics of who he really is. Because when we talk about being indwelt by the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about being empowered and we're talking about being transformed in such a way that the characteristics of Christ begin to be seen in and through us. There's several things that we'll just look at. And this is a snapshot. It's kind of a a little bit of a a shotgun approach to this, but it is about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he leads us. And the first thing is that he saves us. Now that goes without say as well, right? We understand that. We know that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, period, right? So he saves us, but he also sanctifies us. We are saved and we are becoming. We have been declared holy, but we're also being conformed into the very image of Christ, an amazing truth in terms of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he also shepherds us. He shepherds us. He shepherds the flock. So often we get our eyes off of that. We get our eyes on all kinds of other different things, and the truth of the matter is our eyes ought to be absolutely locked in on the Lord Jesus Christ, and where is he leading? Where is he guiding? Where is he directing? Because it's him that we follow. And lastly, he sustains us, and thank God for that. Amen? 
he sustains us. He's the one that gives us the strength and the energy and all the different aspects of who he is in order to accomplish through us what he calls us into. Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, in effect, say the same thing. In verses 22 and 23 of Ephesians 1, he says, He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our leader. He's the head of the body. He's the head of the church. In Colossians 1.18, he says, He is also head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in just a few things. No, in everything. In everything. So I believe this is so central to the discussion of the health of the body of Christ that it goes without say, but sometimes we skip over it. Because we assume that we're doing this. Folks, let's not assume. Let's make sure. Let's make sure in our own personal lives that the Lord Jesus Christ is first place in everything. In everything. That means no matter where you go, no matter who you're with, no matter what you're doing, no matter what activity you're participating in, that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is first in your life in everything, and we are constantly placing him before us. We're constantly giving him deference when we begin to follow him and walk with him, allowing him to be who he is and simply acknowledging the fact that he's our leader. That is essential, not only individually, but corporately as a church body. He comes first in everything. Well, the first thing, he saves us. Let me just give you some snapshot verses on this. I love this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, speaking of the Lord Jesus, she will bear a son, speaking of Mary, and the birth, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their what? Sins. I love that, right? Amen. How did he do that? He went to the cross. He shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no throwing away of sin. There's no forgiveness. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. All other religions pale in comparison to Christianity. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the only name given to men by which we must be saved. Period. There is no other way, folks. This is God's plan for salvation, for saving us, for saving humanity. <laughs> when we begin to compare other religions, like Toyota did not long ago, I saw the commercial and I don't know that they put it back on, and thank God they didn't. Right? These guys were going to a football game, I believe it was, in order to cheer a team. They're in a Toyota. They come up, and they pull in front. And what? Well, I don't remember the order of it, but a rabbi comes out, takes off his stuff, puts on the team shirt, gets in the car. There's a Muslim. There's a rabbi. There's a Catholic priest. And I don't know who the other guy is. By then, I had lost interest. And they were all going to the game in order to cheer their team on. All friends. Folks, that's the thinking of the world. That's the thinking of the world. It's very clear that in Jesus Christ alone is salvation. Period. There is no other equal. There is no other way. <laughs> it 
Titus 2.11, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to what? All men. Now, that doesn't mean that all get saved, but it means, I believe, that all have the opportunity to be saved. And that's a beautiful truth. Salvation. Christ is the anointed one. He's our savior. And when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's done, we just celebrated Easter, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is that every day is an opportunity to celebrate the resurrection because as believers, we know that the resurrection power has raised us, given us new life. And as a result, we have the opportunity to walk with our Lord and Savior. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 Paul, in writing to Timothy, says this, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Wow, what a beautiful statement that is. He came into the world It's a, at a particular point in time. John chapter 1, we, we understand that he entered into human time, into human history. He became a man. Even though he's the Logos, even though he's the self-existent eternal God, he became at a particular moment in time a man. Perfect man, sinless man, but a man nonetheless. He came into the world at a particular point in time. He knew, what did he do? Why did he come? He came to save sinners save sinners, those separated from God by sin. And I believe that's all of us. <laughs> We're all separated from God because of sin. It's only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to give his life and pay our debt for us through his death on the cross. And when we believe in him, that we are able to be reconciled to him, be made right to him, have our sin forgiven so that we can enter into a new and renewed relationship with God himself. You know, it's interesting here because Paul says that he's the foremost, the foremost of all, meaning he's the foremost sinner. And that word foremost, you would think it would be past tense. You would think that Paul was looking back when he got saved or prior to the point of his salvation, but it's actually in the present tense. And what he's saying about himself is that he recognizes that his flesh is still prevalent. He recognizes that he still wrestles inside. There's an internal fight going on between the spirit and the flesh, his sinful nature. And he says that he is the foremost sinner. Now, why does he do that? Well, because I believe he's given himself as an example. Paul's a type, right? A type. He's an example of what God can do in somebody's life. You think about the Apostle Paul and what he did. He actually had Christians killed. He went to war, so to speak, against Christianity, thinking that he was doing it for God. He was doing God a favor. And what's really fascinating in one sense, if you look at his testimony uh, in Acts, before Festus and Agrippa, he actually goes to the point Paul does of saying that he not only had people killed, but he enjoyed that they were suffering. Think about that. Paul says, I'm the foremost sinner. I'm the foremost. He's an example to all of us that if God in his infinite mercy can save the apostle Paul and change his life, 
He can do that for anybody. He can do that for everybody. Well, Brother Paul, and I love Paul. I can't wait to meet Paul. When I've spent about two billion years with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to sit down with Paul. I want Spiros right there with me to translate. <laughs> and Dad'll be there too, you know, that'll be hilarious. Dad'll be going, Amen, really? <laughs> That's so funny. That's a joke. I'm sorry. You, you, amen. Let's move on. In our brother Paul, we have two things here. We have an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of his sin. And I think that's beautiful, isn't it? It's not fake. It's a heartfelt recognition of how sinful he had been and even now the sin that he struggles with. But you also have an attitude. You have an attitude. He recognized that his salvation is by the mercy of God. Here's the Pharisee of Pharisees. Here's a guy who was schooled and trained by Gamaliel himself. Here's a guy who knew the law inward and outward, and he even says of himself with regard to the law from the exterior perspective of things, found blameless. You couldn't look at the life of the Apostle Paul and point a finger and look at the law and say, oh, well, you didn't do what this says you're supposed to do. As far as the exterior was concerned, he was found blameless with regard to the law. But Paul knew his own heart. Paul knew his own motives. And the reality of it is here he's simply giving an acknowledgement of his sin, but he's also having an attitude of humility, recognizing that it wasn't based on anything that he could do in order to get saved. It was based on what Christ had done for him. It was based on God's grace through faith. What humility this man had. Well, not only does the Lord save us, but he sanctifies us. The word sanctify literally can mean the idea of being cleansed, cleansed. And that's a beautiful truth. When we talk about sin, have you ever spilled something on a white shirt? You drip something on it. I don't know, white with me doesn't do well because if I go out to eat, usually something gets on there, you know what I mean? And what happens, what do you do? You You take your shirt, you put it in the laundry, Maybe you use Tide or you do something on there in order to try to get the stain out and you throw it in there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Usually in my case, it does not. I throw it in there. My wife does and washes the thing. When it comes out, sometimes that stain is still there. Is the shirt clean? Yeah, the shirt's clean. But you still have the stain of sin. Do you realize when we're talking about being sanctified, we're talking about the, the fact that the Lord is able to cleanse us to such an extent that he's even able to remove the stain of sin from us. What a beautiful truth. When's that going to happen, by the way? Because right now we still have the stain of sin. I believe 1 John 3, 1 through 3 is very clear about that. When we see Jesus face to face, we will be like him. How's he like? He's holy. He's holy. We're being sanctified. We've been declared holy, but now we're becoming what God has already declared us to be. And one day, even the stain of sin is going to be removed from us. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. The Lord's praying for us, for the disciples, as well as for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How is it that we are cleansed? How is it that we are becoming holy? It is through the word of God. Pure and simple. God's word renews our minds. God's word begins to transform us. 
When we get into the word of God and the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and begins to teach us and we begin to be conformed into his image, we begin to walk by faith, we begin to walk by the persuasion that God is able in spite of what I cannot do in and of myself. We begin to trust the Lord. We begin to walk with him and follow him. We recognize that he saved us, but we also now recognize that he's transforming us. He is sanctifying us. In the midst of that, we get to experience God and we are cleansed cleansed. Acts chapter 20 verse 32 says this, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What a beautiful truth. Interesting, sanctified here has the idea of at a particular point in the past we were saved and declared to be something but it's still ongoing within our lives. When's it completed? When we see Jesus face to face. I love that. You ever wrestle with sin? (laughs) If you say you don't, John tells us the truth isn't in you, that you lie. We do. We wrestle with sin. No, we we trip and stumble. Thank God for 1 John 1, 9. We recognize that when we pray, when we confess our sins, we agree with God. What does he do? He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We get our hands washed. We get our feet washed. Remember Peter's response to the Lord when the Lord wanted to wash his feet? You remember that? Peter's always pulling both feet out of his mouth. I love the guy. Aren't we glad? He just said what we were all thinking. And so one day we're going to get to put our arms around Peter, our dear brother in heaven. (laughs) We're going to thank him for all those things that he said that we were thinking, but we didn't have the guts to say. At least he had the guts to say it. What happened? The Lord came around, said, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter said, no way. No way, Lord. Wash my feet. Jesus looked at him and said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have have no part with me. What was was Peter's pendulum swing? Well, Lord, then give me a whole bath. (laughs) Give me a whole bath. (laughs) What did the Lord say? No, 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 you've already been made clean. You've already had the bath. I just need to wash your feet. See, as believers, we've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been cleansed. We've had the bath, so to speak. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But there's times we trip and stumble. There's times where we need to confess, we need to acknowledge, we need to recognize through the power of the Holy Spirit who's convicting us of sin. And what what happens then? We have our feet washed. We have our hands washed by the Lord. Well, the Lord transforms us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 17 and 18 in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, use the word transformed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit, being transformed. Or Romans 12, where he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed means to be changed. It has the idea of being changed internally and one day it being revealed externally in a fuller sense. You know, I loved hearing Xavier's little testimony 
What, 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 what is it that God has done in my life as a result of me coming to know Christ? What is it that I've experienced God in, right? Well, I'm treating my family a different way. I'm treating my parents a different way. See, when God comes to live within us, I think there are some fundamental changes that take place. If not, <laughs> when we got to go back and say, did we really get saved? But if the Lord comes to live within us, one of the absolute primary things that he does is he begins to convict us of sin. When we have a wrong attitude or we do something that's contrary to the will of God, the Holy Spirit within us begins to convict us. And if we don't respond to that, if we don't uh, confess that, if we don't acknowledge that, what happens? The Lord will literally bring discipline into our lives because we're his children and he loves us too much to go that way. And I think if we still continue not to repent of that, to acknowledge that the Lord will even take us home if necessary because he loves us that much. He's working on transforming us. The child of God begins to go through a transformation and it's something that takes place. It's not something that just happens automatically. We have to respond. We have to respond. There are some automatics, but for the most part, we've got to respond. It's fascinating, and I don't want to get too wonky on you, but this is a middle voice verb, and it has the idea that the Lord is always inviting us to join him in what he alone is able to accomplish in and through our lives. He's always inviting us. Come on, come deeper with me. I, I want to I grow you. I'm putting circumstances in your life that are putting pressure on you in order that you would acknowledge that I'm alone capable of withstanding that pressure in the midst of those circumstances. Get into the word of God so that your mind is being renewed, so that you know me more, because I am your strength, I am your joy, I am the one who will produce love in and through you. I will give you a heart to serve others. I will give you a heart in order to share Christ with others. God is constantly at work. He's working to transform us, but he's always inviting us into what he alone is able to do. I like how Zodiades Spiros puts it. He says, the idea of transformation refers to an invisible process in Christians which take place or begins to take place during their life in this age. It's an invisible process. We don't fully know what that transformation looks like. One day we will. One day we will. But right now, we don't fully understand what that looks like. Are you being transformed? Are you availing yourself to the Lord? Are you getting into the word of God? Are you spending time with the Lord? Are you spending time in prayer? Is God renewing your mind? Is he first in everything in your life? And are you experiencing the power of God to transform you so that through you, God begins to be revealed? His love and all the different characteristics of who he is. Well, he not only saves us and sanctifies us and is sanctifying us, but he shepherds us. Christ is our leader. I've said this many times, but I'll tell you what, I don't think I could ever say it enough. Christ is our leader. We follow him. He's our shepherd. He gave us life. He serves us. He prays for us. He's constantly with us strengthening us, guarding us, growing us, protecting us, admonishing us. Matthew 23, 10, he says, do not be called leaders for one is your leader, that is Christ. He's not saying that you don't call one another leaders, but he's saying, in effect, make sure you understand the priority that Jesus Christ is the leader and all other leaders ought to be following him, period. 
If we're not following him, who are we following? You want to follow somebody else that's not following Christ? I don't think so. I sure don't. I want to follow the Lord. I want to follow men and women who love Christ and make sure that he is their leader. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit will always lead us according to his word, his will, and his way. Isn't that beautiful? You never have, if it's of God, if it's truly Holy Spirit empowered, it will always be centered on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will always lead us through the word of God. He will always lead us according to the will of God revealed in the word of God. And the way that we will go is always going to complement and be in accordance with the word of God. It will never be contrary to the word, ever. Well, how do we follow? Well, we follow by faith, don't we? Romans 1, 17 through 18 says, In it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. We are to walk by faith. As we have received Christ Jesus, so now walk ye in him. How did we receive him? By faith. How do we walk with him? By faith. Faith is not our ability to figure it out. Faith is not our ability to understand it all. Faith is simply acknowledging that God is God and I'm not, and he's able in spite of my inability, and I'm going to walk with him. I don't understand it. I don't understand why the Lord's leading this way. It doesn't contradict his word. It's according to his will, as far as I know, in terms of the word of God and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're going to follow the Lord in everything. We're going to walk with him by faith, whether we understand it, whether we can figure it out or not. Faith, being persuaded that God is able Folks, how many times do we get into the midst of circumstances in our lives and we can't figure it out and we panic? I know you've never done that, right? You've never panicked ever in your life. <laughs> we panic, don't we? Or what do we do? We immediately try to begin to figure it out. We immediately try to go and, and get all the ducks in a row, right? We got to create the equation in order to make sure that the solution is going to be absolutely on target. Folks, Christ is the equation and he's the solution. We walk by faith. The Lord doesn't have to give us an answer. The Lord doesn't have to reveal to us exactly what the steps are. All he has to do is be who he is. And so each and every moment, we take one step as the Lord reveals it. And if he doesn't reveal anything, you stay still. And the next time he gives you the next step, you take a step. And in the midst of it, you just keep Christ as first in your life. You walk with him in the midst of all that he has, all that he is, and he becomes life. I love Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Again, getting back to the word of God. Or in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Ah, I love that, don't you? Do we seek him? Well, the spirit within us will call us to that over and over and over again. Because he wants us to know him. And we know that that's eternal life out of John 17. Well, he saves us, sanctifies us, he shepherds us, he's constantly leading us. We walk with him by faith, but he also sustains us. He sustains us. It's all about his strength. It's not about our strength. Colossians 1.11 says, strengthened with all 
power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Wow, that's a mouthful. We are strengthened with all power. Where does the power come from? It's from him. It's his ability according to his glorious might because of who he is, because he is all strength. It doesn't use up any strength for him to begin to strengthen. We get weakened. We exert energy and we immediately have to take some time and rest in order for that energy to be replaced with Christ that doesn't have to happen. The Lord Jesus Christ is all strength. He is all power. He is infinite in his ability. And therefore, there's never a diminishing of his power. How are we strengthened? By him, because he is all strength. But specifically to what? For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. The word steadfast is a specific word. Both of these words can be translated patience. But this particular word, the first one, is patience regarding circumstances. Circumstances. I, was share, I had several people share with me circumstances in their lives right now, today. It takes God to strengthen us in the midst of those circumstances, to walk through them with his joy, with his grace, with his steadfastness. Why? Because it's God in us who begins to transform us and to remind us of who we are and and whose we are and where we're headed and that God is in control even when we don't understand it fully. Steadfastness. James chapter 1 makes this pretty clear in verses 2 and 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. When you what? Encounter. When you trip into it. When you trip into it. Where's Haley? I thought I saw her today. Put your thumb up. Put your thumb up. Haley broke her finger yesterday playing volleyball. She's really good, too. We went up and watched up in Farmington. She can kill the ball. I mean, I don't, I'd get out of the way. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? She fell. I don't know exactly how it happened. You tripped somehow, landed awkwardly on your thumb. Now you're in the middle of a trial, right? She's going to college. She's going to be on a college volleyball team. You think she planned that? I'm sorry. I hope you don't mind me using you in this. <laughs> it just kind of came to me, and it really fit. So amen. <laughs> but she didn't plan that. She didn't go to the volleyball tournament going, yes, I'm going to break my thumb today. Let's go to the ER. Hey, Dad, I got a good plan. This is going to be great. You'll have fun. That wasn't the way this works. See, sometimes we trip into things. Sometimes all of a sudden we're in the middle of it. We didn't even know it was coming. What does he say? Count it all joy. Put it at the forefront of your mind. Rejoice. Why? Because God is completely sovereign. And what is he doing in our lives as a result of these trials? He is producing what? Patience with regard to circumstances. How? Is it our patience? No. It's God's patience in and through us. It's the recognition that God is sovereign, that he's good, that he's got a plan. And even when we can't figure it out, we get to enjoy him in the midst of it. But the second word is patience regarding people. Macrothemia, long-suffering. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and following says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and what? Patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Oh, can't we just cut that out? Come on. 
That's not scripture, is it? Whoever has a complaint against anyone, no, that never happens, ever. Just as the Lord forgave you also, so also should you. Patience with regard to people, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. No matter what the circumstance may be, whoever has a complaint against anyone, what do we do? We, we have patience. Why? How do we do that? I mean, if we're all honest, there are, there are times when people drive us a little bit batty, aren't we? Right? And if not, just wait a second. <laughs> just wait till afterwards, right? Somebody will come up to you and drive you a little batty, and all of a sudden, man, patience. Well, how do we do that? It's Christ in us, folks. It's the Lord's patience where he begins to deal with our heart, where we have to learn to die to self. We have to say, yes, Lord. We have to say yes to Christ. And then Christ in us begins to transform us so that through us, his patience towards people, his patience in the midst of difficult circumstances that we didn't expect, that we tripped into, suddenly we get to experience him. Folks, it's who he is. How do we know when Christ is first in our lives? How do we know when Christ is preeminent within a body of believers within a church? Because it goes without say that he's our leader. I think if I went around the room and asked everybody that, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, how do we know that? How do we experience that? What are the practical outworkings or at least some of them in the midst of what that looks like? Well, I would just give you seven because that's the perfect number and so I'm just gonna give you seven. But there's many more, I'm sure. And the first I would suggest is his love pervades every area of our lives and activities. His love. Folks, there's a love that begins to take place within a body of believers, within the community of Christ, within the church, that nobody can explain. And people are drawn to it. They're attracted to it. Well, look how they love one another. And that's how ultimately... We are known to be disciples of Christ because of our love for one another. It's our love? No, it's Christ's love in and through us, and we participate with him in the midst of it. Love pervades every area of our lives and activities. Secondly, there's a hunger for his word. Why? Because when we say yes to the Lord and the Holy Spirit begins to convict us, the Holy Spirit is leading us, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, what does he do? He leads us to the word of God. There's a hunger for the word i got to tell you, one of the absolute ways that I knew that my life had changed forever after I came to know Christ in college was I couldn't put the Word of God down. I actually neglected probably things that I should have been doing because I wanted to be in the Word so much. I couldn't get enough of it. Right? What does Peter tell us? Long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it, by the word of God, you may grow with respect to your salvation. When Christ is the center, there's a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. And folks, if there's not a hunger and thirst in your life for the word of God, don't start putting a plan together in order to do better tomorrow. That's not how this works. Because a month from now, you'll just have tripped and stumbled all over again. You go to the source. You go to Christ himself. You repent of it, ask for forgiveness from it, and ask God to cultivate in you a hunger and thirst for his word. And that's what God does. And we respond to it and experience it. And when it begins to take place, we rejoice because we know that it's God in us that's accomplishing that. Third, there's a unity of belief and a recognition of the main things. We don't get caught up into side stuff. We give deference. We understand what is it 
that is foundational. If somebody has a disagreement with you, you give up your right to be right. The proud will always desire to be right. The humble give up the right to be right. I'm not saying check your brain at the door. If we're talking about the virgin birth and somebody says the virgin birth is wrong, that divides. But we understand what should divide and what shouldn't. We get into the word of God and God begins to lead us. And as God begins to empower us, if he is truly the center of all that we are, there's a unity, there is a coalescing, there's a bringing together of unity in terms of belief and a recognition of the main things. Fourthly, we serve one another. We place the needs of others as more important than ourselves. Again, why? Is it because we're good? No, it's because Christ in us, because Christ through us, because the Lord is humble because he's always making himself available. He begins to change us into his image and we get to partner with him, participate with him, and we begin to experience his servant's heart in our lives and then through our lives. Fifth, there's a transparency. Boy, is the Apostle Paul an example of this? I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. I, I'm the foremost. There's transparency. There's transparency. Grace allows for transparency. Why? Because I've been accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ who knows everything about me anyway. There's transparency. I don't have to put on a facade. I don't have to act fake. I don't have to come to to church on Sunday morning and somebody asks me how I'm doing and I go, oh, I'm doing great when really my life is falling apart. I could say, thank you, brother, for asking. Would you pray for me? I'm struggling this morning. You may not need to go through the trash can. You understand what I'm saying? But we can be transparent with one another. You're safe with one another. Sixth, there's fellowship. It's genuine. It's relationship as a healthy family. Coming together, celebrating. Wow, we're family. How good it is to be with you today to celebrate how good our God is. I love that. You know, we have our different moments. We have different K groups. We have different things. I love coming together with you to be in the word of God together as a church body because I think that's so fundamental to what church is all about. I think it's commanded for one, but I also think it's a precious time to celebrate the word of God, Christ and who he is, what he's done for us, what he's able to do in and through us. There's a fellowship We're not just talking about the Baptist way, although we don't want to neglect that, right? We love the chocolate cake and we love our potlucks. Amen? We're talking about fellowship in the word. We're talking about fellowship as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, in a healthy family that God has put us into. And lastly, folks, when Christ is foremost and when God is working in our lives and he's changing us and transforming us, I I think this goes without say as well. There's a testimony or witness to the lost of God's salvation, his gospel. Folks, when we get to experience God and we begin to once again recognize the awesome salvation God has accomplished on our behalf, and we have that attitude and acknowledgement that Paul has, we begin to recognize that we were sinners and we are in need of grace. We're in need of the mercy of God. And God begins to transform us and, and change us and renew us. We can't help but say something to people. And they begin to see something different in us too. And at that moment, when they come to us and say, what's this hope that you've got? We're ready to give an account for what God's done in our lives. 
Folks, Christ is our leader. Christ is the head. When we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's come to save us. He is sanctifying us. He is our source. He is our strength. He is everything to us. And in the midst of it, he sustains us because that's who he is.